Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I am your host, Tisha Richmond. On this show, I chat with educators and thought leaders from around the world to hear stories of how they are transforming teaching and creating unforgettable learning experiences because we all have our own special magic. Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. Today, I am pumped to have a chance to talk with a good friend, Scott Noons. He's a teacher, a tech coach, a blogger, a podcaster, and a prolific sharer of awesomeness and a wonderful support to educators everywhere. Welcome, Scott. Happy to have you on the show today. Tisha, I am pumped too. I'm excited to be back on the show. I've had you yes. on my podcast too. Uh, it definitely brings me joy to connect with you. Oh my goodness. Yes. I I love being on Twitter and just seeing the awesome things that you you share out and joining the joining in with uh, you know in Twitter chats, you jump into Oregon Ed chat all the time and and TLAP and all of these wonderful communities that I'm a part of. And I think that's one thing that I love about just having a professional learning network is you just you can jump on social media and just get this renewed sense of joy and and inspiration from from educators that that share the same passion as you, you know, for education. It's pretty awesome. Absolutely. And it's fun and it gives you ideas sometimes too. So if you're feeling like, oh, the well of ideas is drying up, hop on Twitter, join a chat and there you go. You'll be fired up in no time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself. You've you've been on my show before, but it's been a while. And so I'm sure there's listeners out there who maybe don't know your background. Maybe you can share a little bit about yourself with listeners. Yeah, so I'll back up a little bit because I think it gives some people some context. I'm a failed graphic design artist that got into education uh, in part as a last resort. I wanted to get back into um, you know the traditional workforce. I did freelancing and had oddball kind of jobs uh, in between getting laid off and becoming a, a teacher. And I failed a ton, Uh, you know, hit rock bottom professionally, really, if I'm being, Mm. uh, you know, brutally honest and vulnerable here. And it was a tough time. And I finally decided to listen to the people around me. And I coached at that time and coached all throughout kind of my, my younger years in my 20s. And parents would always say, hey, why aren't you a teacher? Why aren't you working for the school? Why aren't you doing this uh, related education? I said, ah, you know, that's not for me. And I finally decided to listen and uh, take some advice. And I'm so glad I did because it's just completely transformed my my life. And I'm part of this uh, edu awesome revolution, right? Just uh, sharing and caring about other educators. When something works for me, I like to share it out in the hopes that it'll help somebody else out. And when I fail at something, I try to share that too, because failure is part of the process. So I encourage all the listeners to go out there, not be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail because through failure can come grit, resilience, those risk-taking things that we can do in the classroom, like trying a new unit, putting a spin on an existing unit, trying a breakout room, bringing in games. uh, Those are all things that are risky. 
And most educators won't do that. So separate yourself from the mundane and the blase and get out there and ignite some hearts and minds and try something new. It may work out that first try, most likely not. You'll have to keep at it, but do it. And I've applied that to my own life and education. I I learned that. I wasn't a risk mm-hmm. taker when I did graphic design. I played it safe and it cost me. I didn't build a professional network. It cost mm-hmm. me. Nobody knew who I was. They didn't know my work. Um, I didn't have those connections and working with the clients. I didn't know everything. And I was too broad. I tried to do it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say when you're you're kind of blossoming, just try one to three things. You know, know, yeah. know thyself first, keep it simple. Don't try to do it all, especially as new educators, especially if you're a new educator in 2020, just get like one to two yeah. tools down and that's it. And become an expert in those tools and then build. Don't worry about the Bitmoji classrooms and right. yeah, like app smashing. Hey, if you can do it, do it. I'm not saying don't do it, but don't feel like you have to. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. You have just packed in so many words of wisdom right there (laughs) in your introduction. That's amazing. And I I think about, you know, your journey and being this graphic designer and, and feeling like you, you failed and, and hit so many obstacles and yet you persevered, right? And you can now bring into education all of this rich knowledge that you had, I'm sure, in your graphic design profession. Right. And and so much growth happened, right? In that yes. transition from one career to, to another. And those hard lessons that you, you faced in your career as a graphic designer have really helped shape who you are now, which I think is, is just, it's so wonderful. We all have those stories, right? Where our, our journeys have taken us on this wild ride, but there's so much growth that happens in that journey and the ups and downs, you know, that lead us to where we are. Definitely. And, you know, to share another image of that, I equate it to the cycle of something like a moth. So you have this this little caterpillar like creature that's, you know, not the prettiest. Maybe there are some pretty patterns on it. It's looking mm-hmm. okay. And then it, it goes through this dormancy, right? It kind of gears up, gets all the tools and things it needs to eventually emerge as this beautiful being. Uh, people tend to think of butterflies as being so beautiful, and they are, but some of the most exquisite. Uh, insects are moths when you compare their their patterns. And one of the things, when it's in the cocoon, uh, it has to really struggle and emerge mm-hmm. to get out. It takes every ounce of energy to kind of break out of that shell. And if you ever try and help it and just crack that cocoon a little bit and let it out, what's going to happen is it's going to struggle and ultimately Mm. die. And I equate that to my own career as an educator. It's okay to have some supports and structure like a cocoon, but ultimately you as an educator are going to need to be the one to break out because you're going to shine that much more because of it and have that strength and resiliency to not wither away. Wow. 
That is, I love <laughs> that. I love yeah. that so much, you know, and that is so, so true. And, and how much in, in that struggle, how, how we get so much stronger, you know, we think about as we reflect on this past year, I mean, there's been so much struggle for so many people oh and, and to think about how much stronger we're all going to be because of it. It's been so, so hard and, and challenging and, you know, all of the, all of the memes out there and the jokes about how, you know, we're so ready to get, get past 2020, <laughs> you know, and move on to 2021. But wow, I, I always try to hold on to that hope of we have come through this, this wild, wild year and, and through the struggle, through the pain, we are going to now experience this growth. Hopefully we can break through. If we look at this cocoon, right? right. Definitely <laughs> cocoon Hopefully we can break out of the cocoon in 2021 and, and be stronger for it. <laughs> no, I, I think so. And shout out to another DBC author, uh, Rachel George. Uh, she talked about on my podcast about seeing these challenges, right? 2020 giant challenge with all these sub challenges. It's crazy for everyone. Finally, we are all in this together, whether we like it or not. Everybody worldwide, it doesn't even matter your field. Mm -hmm. You are struggling unless you're Jeff Bezos. (laughs) (laughs) And she talked about looking at these challenges as opportunities. So Mm -hmm. these are your opportunities to emerge bigger, greater, stronger, whatever it is, whatever attribute you want to um, kind of, you know, fix on yourself. Now is the time. My one word for 2020 was vision. And it was a very sleepy year for me Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how things appeared maybe on the outside, but internally I was really preparing and you had commented on all the things I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And really it was that, that vision of really planning of knowing where I'm at and knowing where I want to go in the next like five, six years Mm -hmm. and what I need to do to make that happen. That's really propelling what I'm doing now uh, to not only survive, but thrive in the remaining days of uh, 2020 and looking into 2021. I want to thrive in this new mm. year. So kind of, you know, tying back in with that uh, cocoon metaphor, like really looking to break out and prepping for that journey, just absorbing as much as mm-hmm. I can and learning from these lessons that are so abundant right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And before the show, we were talking a little bit about just these creative outlets that we have, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you find the creative outlet in your podcasting and in your, these amazing Facebook lives that you're doing and, and bringing in the graphic. I always think about that with you do wonderful graphic design. And so there's that, you know, your past career coming into play yeah. and being able to tap into that that creative outlet. And I know that, that I feel the same way. I love 
I've loved that about this holiday break. First of all, I've loved being with my family and spending just quality time playing games and just enjoying, you know, baking and, and all of the wonderful things. Uh, but I've also loved just having space to tap into that creative part of my brain and do the things that I love, like you know, podcasting and writing blogs and creating games and all of that, that good stuff. And I think when we can truly, um, have that vision, not only for where we want to go, but what finding those things that really bring us joy, right? That we enjoy doing. And when we, when those can kind of come together, um, it's beautiful, right? Because we, we find this vision for where we want to go, but it's within our wheelhouse of, of things that bring us joy and, and fill our bucket. Uh, and, and it seems like you found that you found that that sweet spot. Definitely. And you can't let those things go. One thing I do regret, and I'll, I'll be honest about it, is exercise. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I let it go. I just worked, worked, worked from March through May, put on a ton of weight, wasn't watching my diet, just pounding the coffee, burning the midnight oil. I was doing two jobs. Uh, I transitioned from my role as an ELA teacher to my new role as an ed tech coach. And like you, having to pivot on a dime, getting new, um, not software, but new applications to use. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have to learn a new LMS like yourself, which is a huge undertaking. But for our virtual academy, we're considering a new uh, LMS possibly. And I did all this investigative work. And so playing with those new options, looking at new curriculums, it's a lot. And to be honest, even though I enjoy that, it doesn't Mm -hmm. fill my bucket. It, It doesn't bring me joy to spend hours inputting things in databases, spreadsheets, uh, inputting things on our LMS, uh, Schoology. Uh, While I can do it, I don't necessarily enjoy it enough to where it fills me and fulfills me. Like doing good work does, but what fulfills me is having conversations like we're having right now. So I'm really trying to make the most of the the time I have on break and get in as many of these great conversations as I can. So yeah. thank you again, because oh. I'm loving it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And, and I, I also, and I've, I've shared this with you as well. I'm so in awe of how you do find time when you have this full-time job, you have a young family you, you know, but you still are doing the Facebook lives and you're, you're doing the podcast episodes and doing blog posts. What are some, I don't know, tips or strategies that you use to be able to, to do all of the things that you do? Well, first off, shout out to my wife, because it wouldn't (laughs) be possible without her. Uh, you know, she's great in her own right with what she does professionally as a healthcare worker. She's a nurse and uh, raises our children and is very involved in their education as well. So she's out there hustling too. Uh, her journey doesn't necessarily look the same as mine. It's different, but it's beautiful in its own way. So shout out to her. Uh, without her, I definitely 
couldn't do it because she's my rock. She's my support when I'm weak and need some encouragement. She's there for me. And when I need some ideas, as I shared off camera, when I'm doing new designs, I'll, I'll bring her over. She has such an eye for design, actually better, better than mine. Even with my background in training, she just naturally has this gift and she'll, you know, comment on things like, Oh, use the space differently. And I have a tendency to get really excited and want to pack as much into a graphic. Uh, and she's all about simplicity and letting it breathe. And I think my logo, my logo, my Mr. Noon's teach logo in its simplicity is so impactful. And it's mm-hmm. funny. People recognize me at conferences from that logo. They're like, it looks just like you, I you know, that. you're Mr. Noon's teach or, you know, you're Scott Noon's. I recognize you from your logo or your sticker. So uh, that's pretty cool. Getting back to the balance part, other than having a support, you know, uh, either through a good friend, a spouse, or your professional learning uh, family or network, I would say map it out. Map yeah. out the things you must have in your day. So my first principal had some really good advice. And so she said, very first thing, you know, you need your God, whether it's, you know, traditional form of God or whatever, you know, fills you. So for some people, you know, their equivalent is like fitness or, you know, being professional. So whatever that kind of like, quote unquote, spiritual aspect is Mm -hmm. for you, whatever fills your bucket most, that's got to come first and foremost for you. So make time for that. The next is uh, you. So you Mm -hmm. even come before your family, because if you're not right, mm-hmm. you, you're not going to have anything to give yeah. back. Now, that being said, you definitely have to give back, but you have to fill your own bucket mm-hmm. before you can give to others. And then next would come your family and friends mm-hmm. and and then kind of those other communities you, you belong to. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, it's this kind of ripple effect. And so I would say start there and find out if you're not sure yet what you're passionate about, mm-hmm. explore, play, ideate, construct something, yeah. try it out. Uh, and don't just go from one thing to the next, but stick with something for a number of weeks. I say two to six weeks, really that mm-hmm. six week mark is a sweet spot. So be consistent and purposeful with whatever it is. So if you want to try out woodworking, I have an odd thing that I can't do right now because of the California lockdowns that really fills me in that sandcastle building. I love it. Yeah. Nothing uses my brain like that. So I love building these giant, like three, four foot sandcastles. I'm not a professional by any means, but uh, I think they're okay. I, I'm definitely growing in that space as well. And it's really neat to see like I can carve out letters now and like windows and doors and do tiles on roofs and things. So it, that's it's cool. amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. See, this is one of the things that I love about doing these podcasts is I never knew about knew that about you. (laughs) And I absolutely love the beach. So that just makes me happy to know that you, uh, you love making sandcastles. You're going to have to share with me some of your, do you take pictures? Do you have a collection? Yeah, I do. I'll have to share some. That is fantastic. I love it. I grew up my younger years up until fourth grade. I lived in Southern California and then I went to college in San Diego and 
got married in San Diego and lived there for 10 years. So a, a good little chunk of my my life has been on Southern California beaches. And there's nothing like, oh, I just love, I love Southern California beaches. I love Oregon beaches too, but they're a lot colder. A lot colder. And uh, a lot windier <laughs> than Southern California beaches for sure. Yeah, love that. for Sandcastle building too. You need a uh, lower wind, preferably really grainy, fine sand that clumps up well. A pro tip is if you grab about a handful um, get it wet, dip it in some water and squeeze out as much of the water uh, as you can and roll it into a ball. If it stays clumped up and doesn't crumble or break apart really easily, then you have yourself some really good sandcastle building sand. So adding things like sticks and twigs and seaweed and stuff and shells, that that doesn't make for a good sandcastle over the years. You need the fine pure sand. So uh, usually close to the water, you'll find some, some really good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, if Russ and I, the next time we head down to Southern California, we're going to see if you can meet us at the beach and give us a sandcastle lesson. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) That would be be awesome. Just out of curiosity, what's your favorite Southern California beach? Ooh, so I have to go a little north. It's kind of nostalgic for me. And I have to say, probably Avila Beach. I can't believe I'm giving away my my secret. So it's, a, uh, it's let's see, one town south of San Luis Obispo. So okay. kind of like Central California. And the weather's perfect pretty much year round. It has a microclimate. Uh, it's awesome. So even in the winter, you can go now it's not warm in the winter, but you can go and still have a really nice experience there or shell beach. I used to live by shell beach uh, and it gets its namesake from all the shells, all the sand there is little pieces of broken up shells. And so you'll find some really cool sections of sandy shelly beaches there. It's awesome. That is awesome. So all of you Californians, you might, if you see a bearded man (laughs) at Shell or Avila Beach, it could be Scott Nunes. Yes. (laughs) That is so fantastic. So last week, I think it was last week, you were on Twitter and you always are sharing out all this awesomeness and you had posted a graphic and a question on what is your favorite video games, card games, or board games? And of course, I love any question that has to do with games because games are my favorite. And I re- I was pondering that question because I'm like, oh, I love video games. I'm not so I don't play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. I do love Donkey Kong. I love some of the classics. You know, I'm trying to get my son to teach me some so that I have that to bond with him because he loves video games. But it's really a toss up between board games and card games because I grew up in a family that loved playing both Progressive Rummy and Hearts. Those were our two games whenever we would gather for the holidays or just whenever we would play Progressive Rummy and Hearts. And um, over the holidays this year, my daughter was home. And so she 
she goes to school up in Portland and we didn't think we were going to get her more than a couple days over the holidays, but her boss was super generous and gave her five days. So she was home with us and I just treasured every single moment that we're all together as a family, but she is my game player. She will play games hour after hour with me and I just eat it up because Tommy and, and Russ, my, my son and my husband, they'll play games with me but they don't love playing games with me. So <laughs> I loved it. So we got into a new, well, it was a card game that we played as a family a long time ago, but we hadn't played for a long time, which is hand and foot, Ooh. where you have you have 11 cards in your hand, you have 11 cards in your foot, and you're trying to come up with sets. Um, you start out with sets of three, but then you try to build to make either clean piles which are all that have no jokers in them or dirty piles that have jokers mixed in and your whole goal is to get through your hand and your foot first before anybody else and so it's a really fun game you play four rounds of it and so we we had a lot of fun with that game over the holidays too but then I'm like oh but there's so many board games that I love that I love too that that we play I have a whole you know cabinet full of, of games so Let's talk about games for a little yeah. bit. What are your favorites? Oh, so I have a lot of favorites. I, I think an easy go-to, and because I have kids too, younger kids, uh, spanning from a three-month-old to a 10-year-old, so we have quite the spectrum. So if it's going to be a whole family game, it has to be really simple. So Monopoly is a classic, hands down. And I wish... I, I think the name's coming to me. The new favorite amongst the kids is called, I want to say it's like Bugaloop. Like oh. you have a little electronic bug. My four-year-old is all about it. My four and seven-year-old. So they, they love that. The 10-year-old jumps in. My wife really likes it. I have not played it yet, but they've been playing that one a bunch and it has me intrigued. Uh, awesome. So that's kind of cool. And it has a little piece of tech in there has like a little robotic bug that goes through mazes or something. I kind of just caught a little bit of it yesterday. Uh, card games. We have been venturing into those. We've been playing a ton of gin rummy. So I've been oh, teaching yeah. my seven-year-old, teaching the 10-year-old and keeping the four-year-old by me. And then going over to my parents, um, you know, and uh, playing with them. They're kind of like in our little bubble i guess mm-hmm. uh, uh, of people to visit i i had to break down uh yeah. and, and find somebody so they're kind of like in our little safe bubble like we don't socialize yeah. like outside our immediate family so my brothers will come and we'll play if it's me my mom and my brothers we play a board game called dominion uh i forget oh. who, rio games i think publishes I- that Yes, I think I know. I think that that's the one my sister has. I've played with her. Is that where you have all of like the cards that you are they? Um, I'm trying to remember. It has been a while since I've played. So, and I haven't played since last year because it's 2020, right? It's been yeah. a while. Um, but I'm looking forward to playing it uh, yeah. sometime soon before I go back. Essentially, Everybody gets uh, some cards and then you have coin cards that you can do and buy certain kind of like ability cards with them. 
And then you have our, their action cards is what yes. they're called. So you can buy action cards. And then there's a another card type. And I can't remember what it is. But there's certain abilities you can do. Like you can uh, take cards. You can uh, take them from other players. You can make them have to discard their cards, which is really bad. It's nice to have cards on hand to be able to play. And maybe they're saving to buy some big item uh, that's going to get them more points uh, at the end. So it all comes down to points at the end. And I'm trying to remember what the point equivalent is, but essentially you need to get a bit of money to be able to get these points. So the game ends, you have all these different draw piles. And once four of them, I believe run out, the game is done. Um, and there's so many variations. You have all of these, uh, card types that you can bring in and play with. And, uh, we've done both official rules and kind of made up our own rules. We prefer to kind of make up our own rules and make the game our own and do a lot of customization. Like, oh, we're going to put out more cards or less cards than we're supposed to, to adjust the level of difficulty. Uh, And that's really neat. So I encourage listeners to try that out. Do that with games. I think somebody that's really great at modeling that for us and the uh, edgy Twitter space would be Michael Matera and Jonathan Spike. Both of those guys are great at modifying existing games. Absolutely. I think you bring up such a great point. And I'm pretty sure that that is the one that I'm thinking of that I played with at my sister's. Um, Super fun and a lot of strategy involved in that that game too. But I think that is something that I'm, that I really enjoy is taking a game and modifying it for playing, you know, as a family, but also how you can modify the game and bring it in to learning. And I, I love doing that with whether it's reality television game shows or games that I have, you know, sitting in my game cabinet, like how could you reimagine this game and, and bring it into the classroom to really teach your content and, and to get your students strategizing and thinking creatively and, and team building, I think is huge component of, of game playing too. There's so many wonderful things that happen when you play games and there's, there's so many ways that you can bring them into learning and you don't have to create it all from scratch. There's so many games that already exist with just a few little tweaks you know, you can all of a sudden make it a game for learning and it doesn't, it doesn't take much. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And I love bringing games into the class and they provide so many opportunities for learning, no matter the content, really, whether it's PE or math or science, you could play games, you could play games in elementary. It's not, um, you know, just one grade level. You could play games in high school. We we played games now. Did we play games every day? No, definitely not. Um, but there are ways to gamify certain activities, certain lessons, bringing in game elements like game-based learning. That's one way. Or you can go completely 
gamified, which is a challenge. It's a bit of work. Um, but if you're willing to put in the work, the payoff is amazing. You'll create classroom experiences that will last a lifetime for your students. They will never forget your class uh, if you gamify yeah. the classroom. So I encourage everybody. Your book really helped me out with that. With um, I'm going to misquote the name, so correct me. It's uh, the greatest, like your food truck one. What the do you call truck. it? The great food truck race. The great food yeah. truck race. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. When when I heard about that uh, at Fall Q uh, 2018 mm. and got a hold of your book, I was like, okay, that was the selling point. That wow. and Edu Protocols, like Iron yeah. Chef, like those reality yeah. TV shows, right? The great, uh, the amazing race and Iron Chef. I'm like, I got to tap into this and I modified. So there was already an existing Hunger Games unit mm-hmm. that uh, Tracy Orman created, which okay. my friend, uh, Amber Youngman got a hold of, she made her own adaptations and then handed me her adaptations. And then I made my own to that. So it was really neat to see this game morph. And I brought in uh, a whole gamified unit. We played uh, at least half a dozen games over the course of five to six weeks. So uh, every week there's a different game that we're playing and everybody gets involved. And so whether you're shy or outgoing, there's a role for you. So your role Mm -hmm. might be record keeper, Mm -hmm. or maybe you're trying to uh, be a disruptor and mess up the people that are competing for points. Uh, Students love that role. So definitely create (laughs) like a disruptor role. And then there's like an explorative role, like, finding little Easter eggs and hidden things. And okay, you just earned a power up for yourself or your team, right? Or your district because it was the hunger game. So I break up the class into districts. And one of the games is a Jenga challenge. And we bring that up in the beginning and also at the end. And I take the game of Jenga and eat. And I got this from my friend, Amber Youngman. And I write down questions and each one has a point value, one, two, or three. And students compete for two minutes. Um, They go head to head. So maybe like a person from District 4 will go against a person from District 2. And they take turns answering questions. Well, the way it works is you set up the Jenga like normal. And then they'll pull out a block. They'll hand it to a quote unquote game maker. And the game maker will read the question. And if they can answer it correctly they get the point. If not, it goes to their opponent, they get a chance. And uh, if the opponent gets it right, they get the points. And if nobody gets it, the answer is read aloud, the correct answer, and nobody gets the point. And whoever picked it has to put it on top. And the kind of spin on this is if the structure falls apart due to you, then you automatically lose and you have you lose all your points you have to start over again and you have to quickly rebuild this jenga tower to try and get your points back um before and uh we do this round robin over the course of a period it's very fast paced very intense uh they come in right away and things are set up and so that's a 
teacher challenge, right? And I yeah. have helpers in each class. Hey, here's what you're going to be doing. You have to set this up for the next class. And it works. One year I did it and I had back to back to back classes, no prep. Um, and so I needed this system and it took me, you know, probably two years to develop it, but three years to get really good at it. And I still add little tweaks uh, to it. And it's just an amazing, fun unit. And everybody knows me as the Hunger Games teacher. That is so fun. I love that so much. That's fantastic. And I love to like, just that, that idea of the Jenga game, you think about that. And you think, as you were talking, I'm like, wow, there's just so many variations that you could take that in, you know, depending on your, your content area, depending on the age kids you have, there's so many different ways that you can go in creating a game that amplifies learning that is going to reach, you know, all of the different learners in your classroom. And I love that as you were designing this, this gamified framework for your class, that you were considering all of the different learners. You were, you were considering the kids that would want to be the disruptor, the ones that would want to be chasing for the, you know, chasing the Easter eggs, the ones that might be trying to get, you know, the highest point total, whatever it is, uh, you are, you are creating a a framework that appeals to everybody so that everybody feels invested and, and has a place, has a role. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And right now or anytime you're on break is the perfect time to ideate, construct and explore something like that. It is a bit of time up front not going to sugarcoat that. So I've probably invest initially invested about six to eight hours in that one unit, which spanned Mm -hmm. uh, five to six weeks. And then um, each year I probably spend one or two hours kind of Mm -hmm. adding, taking away, modifying, adapting uh, the challenges. And so I have probably a dozen challenges that we can do that I can mix up now. So I went from the initial six and now I have 12 and I've done that in uh, four years. So uh, it's really grown and uh, I take feedback at the end. So a lot of the new challenges have come from students and they've helped improve the game. I think that's huge. And design thinking needs Mm -hmm. to be a part of your gaming process. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So many of the ideas that I used in my gamified classes were from students, you know, they, they love to have that, um, that ownership. They love to feel like they contributed something that that's going to become a new part, you know, of of the game for not only that year, but for the years to come. And, and I love that you said too, that you're continually, um, making changes to 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 make it better and better. I mean, we do that as teachers, right? We take something and maybe maybe it works, but maybe there's certain aspects of it that could be better, and you just keep working at it. I, that was the same for my class. You know, I I started out with a basic framework, and I knew I was on to something. I knew the kids were more engaged than they had been before. It wasn't perfect, but I took the parts that weren't perfect, and I just kept, you know working at it until I found a structure that was really, really solid. And and when you talk about the hours that you put into it, I mean, you think about six to eight hours is a lot of time, but really 
is it? When you think about the investment right. that you're making and creating this really immersive, empowering learning environment for students um, that they're going to never forget, like 68 hours, that's that's a day, right? There's a, that's yeah. a full work day, maybe. But the the dividends from investing that time oh, yeah. are, are well, priceless. You get that time back and then some. Plus, yeah. you get all the enjoyment of having such an enriching, not only activity, but outcome. There are life skills embedded in there. Talk about the four C's. We have uh, creativity for sure. They have to think mm. of creative ways to solve these problems. There's uh, a breakout challenge in there. They come into class and they know, hey, there's an incentive if you show up early because the challenge starts when you walk in the door. Yeah. Uh, right then and there. So you and your team uh, can do that. And you have to think abstractly. And then you have to construct the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. There are building challenges that I have in there as well. And you have to uh, ideate. You have to collaborate. You can't do it by yeah. yourself. So you can take the most skilled student but if they don't collaborate with the team or allow the team to help them and collaborate, they try to just do it all on their own. They're not mm-hmm. going to do well. It's really going to take a whole team and you can take weaker students. And that's what I love about this. I had a student mm-hmm. that was getting D's and F's in all of her classes. And she really just l- fell in love with the Hunger Games Mm. and studied and studied and studied and read the book, watched the movies. And uh, that helped too, right? If you can find a book that has a movie, even though some things are changed, I I point out those changes so they know like, hey, this this isn't factual when it comes to the test. Uh, Be aware of this. This did not happen in the book or this was (laughs) taken out. And she won the Hunger Games and she went from an F to a C minus because of that unit, because I gave her that opportunity and she was the weakest link in her group, but they helped propel her to the top. They encouraged her, they supported her. Mm -hmm. And it's about forming those relationships, that communication piece. Like Mm -hmm. they had to communicate with her and she was listening. Okay all right, I didn't get this question right on Jenga, but I'll get it right the next time when it comes up. I'll know uh, because I remember that. There was a question about uh, who dies in chapter 18 and the answer is Rue. And she got that. She got it wrong the first time. Then it was like the final question in the final battle, we did a a Jenga where I use those same questions, but I just read them off and they're, they're up in front of the whole class, like Jeopardy style, battling it out. And we're keeping track on the board. I have a helper or quote unquote game maker uh, helping me keep track of this. And she got it right. And that was the game winning question. So that was so cool. She had remembered from before. So kind of like edu protocols, fast and curious where Mm -hmm. you do a pre-assessment and a post-assessment on the same lesson, that same kind of activity can happen in your games. Think outside the box. How can you bring in some of these sound pedagogical elements Mm -hmm. into a gaming experience. And the deeper you go, 
the deeper your students will become invested. Out of all my years, I've only had one student not participate. And he let me know, Mr. Noons, it's not you. It's me. I just want to get my GED and I have to fail all my classes to do that. And I I stayed on him and he he thanked me. He was like, this is really cool, but um, he yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't do it. So other than that one student, which you still try, right? Never yeah. give up on the student. Uh, you know, everybody's always participated in that. And I think yeah. that's, that's great. That's fantastic. And I, I think that that really speaks to the misconception that some people have that, you know, a game of gamification is bringing in this competition, this competition or these, these elements that may seem to be the, the opposite of collaboration. But I have found the same experience in my own classes that my students became much more bonded, became much better collaborators and communicators because of the gamified classroom. And it's all in how you approach it, right? And really, uh, being intentional about creating an atmosphere that is safe for kids and that encourages risk taking and that that is very intentionally built to establish relationships and establish trust among each other and, and the teacher. You you have to build that in, but when you do, it, it just it pays dividends and it does. Yeah. And it carries them, just that one unit, even if I didn't do anything else, that one unit would carry them throughout the rest of the year, seriously. Uh, So consider something like that and start small, start with some choice boards, offering student choice or, you know, a review game, even if you have to go with the classical Jeopardy or there's a fly swatter game. Um, I... I think I played it once. It's really popular at my school where you you put questions and answers and they each have a giant fly swatter and they select the right answer on on the board by swatting the board with this giant safe fly swatter. Uh, That's that's a fun one. Um, It just didn't work super well for me. I didn't give it long enough and I found other games that worked better for me. But, you know, find what works for you. Maybe my game won't work for you. And another one will Dave Burgess is another one to check out and teach like a pirate. He talks about how he gamified and um, spiced up his lessons, right? Going with the theme. If uh, it's the 2020 was in person, I was going to do uh, a session with great educators like Jamie Donnelly, uh, Mm. Amy Sore, Kristen Nan, and uh, Janelle McLaughlin. Mm. Uh, and talk about how providing a theme uh, for your lesson, your unit, your activity goes a long way. Going all in. So for the Hunger Games, I dress up as Seneca Crane. And you might find pictures of me on Twitter where I have like a little curly uh, beard that's from uh, that unit. So I, I get a fresh haircut the day before yeah. and then either my wife or my barber or myself will will draw in the little Hunger Games uh, symbol for District 12 like Seneca Crane has <laughs> on his beard and it's it's pretty cool. 
That's fantastic. I definitely need to see a picture of that. Yeah, I love it. I didn't share it with you. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, kids appreciate that so much when you just go all in. And I mean, they know how much it, it, you care about your kids. I mean, if you're spending that amount of time and effort to totally dress the part, your kids have to know, like, know. you are all in for them. Like, you're doing this for them. You're wanting to create the best experience that you possibly can. And I think that 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 goes a long way and is so important, you know, that, that we think about, you know, and I think about right now in this world of remote teaching, a lot of schools were still remote in, in Oregon uh, and we're not quite sure how this is all going to unfold in the months to come. And if we're going to be kind of moving back and moving in partially into a hybrid model, but um, you know, thinking too about well, what what, the, what does it look like when you do this uh, in a remote learning environment? You know, you can still be all in for your kids. You know, it looks a little right. different, but there's so many opportunities um, that you can create where you can have very immersive, um, powerful learning experiences, even if it, even if it has to be across a, a Zoom camera. Right. I would say a good place to start. Very simple one. Dedicate a class period to it. You know, sometimes let's say, for example, I, you know, I'm having an off day or like an assembly. Right. There's there's something that happens at school. We we all know those days. Right. That throws off kind of the Mm -hmm. mentality of students. We have these kind of, you know, buffer days or, or days where kiddos are distracted. That's the perfect time, perfect day for a breakout EDU, throw them in some breakout rooms. Uh, And you can do that if they're hybrid or high flex where you have kids who are in person and you have kids who are digital and then they, they might swap. There's all these different models, right? That's going to work whether you're digital, face-to-face, high flex, hybrid, um, maybe something completely different. It really lends itself well, especially if you leverage an LMS or a digital yeah. tool that everyone can access, then uh, everybody can be involved and they can collaborate. I love breakout rooms. I I don't know what you use in your district, but we use Microsoft Teams and I think that's a really cool one. But any of them work, honestly, whether it's yeah. Google, Zoom, or uh, School G conferences, Big Blue Button, anything. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we use Zoom in our district, but agreed. You can, so many uh, possibilities and and so many of the different platforms. And, and I encourage you to think about, you know, I would love, you know, leave this episode today and, and open up your game closet, maybe turn on um, some game shows on television and just start letting your mind um, spin on what, what could you do to bring that in to not only the brick and mortar setting, but what could you do to bring that into a remote setting, bring it into your, your LMS, bring it into your video conferencing platform, whatever, whatever that is to, um, to create an awesome, awesome experience for your students. So that's an excellent suggestion. Definitely. Right now is the time to explore and ideate. When we come back, that's when you can start constructing, include your kids in the process. Matt Miller talks about that in his book. Um, ditch that homework. Uh, sorry. He has all the ditch series. I was scrolling (laughs) through my brain real quick. So, uh, yeah, in that one, 
uh, he talks about, or uh, I think it's ditch that textbook, actually, correction. Uh-huh. He, he talks about involving them mm-hmm. in the process. You involve them in the process and you're golden. If they choose to go this route and you go that route, you're getting the student investment and that's what you want. And that's, um, I have a way of doing that with my Hunger Games unit and with uh, some project-based learning units that I do throughout the year too. And I allow them to make choices and determine their rubrics. Now, there's a way of gently guiding them in certain ways like, oh, if you choose this, here's going to be the problem with that. Um, so think about that too. Think of your contingency plans. Definitely don't give them an option you're not okay with. Never do that. So yeah. <laughs> think about your plan A, B, C, and maybe even D before you attempt something like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I just posted a blog post. I, I, like I said, I have had fun over break creating games. And so um, I created one um, based on this Bob Ross game that I played as a family. I get every Christmas Eve, my husband and I buy a game for the family and we just enjoy playing it over the holidays. And this one was called Happy, um, Happy Little, Little Happy Mistakes, Happy Little Mistakes. One of the, oh no, Happy Little Accidents. Yes. And it's a Bob Ross game and it's where you have a squiggle. Everybody draws a squiggle and then you draw a card And you have to, everybody puts their squiggles in the middle of the table and then you pick a squiggle out from the middle and then whatever word is drawn, you have to turn that squiggle into that thing that was drawn. And then you basically have to sell your squiggled drawing to the rest of the, you know, all of the other players explaining why and how your drawing connects to the concept that was being read. And so uh, I created a game based on that uh, that board game that we we brought into our family and found ways that you could bring that into learning in both remote and into a brick and mortar classroom. And so um, that could just be kind of a launching point for you for you all to think about that and think about, okay, what what other ways could I bring this into my classroom? That's just one way that you could bring that into learning. Maybe you could find other variations of that game and how you could bring it into your your grade level, your content area uh, to 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 add a little excitement to the year ahead. Yeah, and when you said that, just my brain exploded with ideas. No matter the content area, if you wanted to translate that same concept, you could easily do that with PE. You could give them equipment, make a sport out of this. How, you know, what would your sport be? What would it look like? And you start constructing, Uh, you know, there's opportunities for communication, collaboration, and creativity all right in there. And of course, constructing, you could do that with English. Like, hey, here's this character. You got Romeo, right? What would be like, an anti-Romeo or Romeo, a modern day Romeo-like character. And you could just, you know, go in a million different directions. The possibilities are really endless. Like if you can dream it, you can do it. Absolutely. That is, that is a great way to bring us home to this podcast. If you can dream it, you can do it. I love that. That is, that that might be the, that might be the title of this podcast. (laughs) I dig it. 
I love it. Oh my goodness. It's so fun to chat with you, Scott. Always. You are such a, a bright light in this educational realm. And I just appreciate so much, um, all that you share out, all of the amazing conversations that you engage in and you, you share with your listeners and, and just your, your amazing, um, ability to support and encourage um, other educators everywhere. So thank you for, for all you do. I am super lucky to call you friend. And likewise, thanks for this opportunity. It's been a blast. I always love chatting with you, Tisha. And uh, to all the listeners out there, if you need a helping hand, like Tisha said, I love to help. So uh, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Noons Teach and I'll help you out. Just let me know what you need. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Give a plug to your podcasts and your Facebook lives. How can people engage yeah. in, in those amazing platforms? So uh, like I said, you could follow me on Twitter at Mr. Noons Teach, but also on Facebook and YouTube at Mr. Noons Teach. I have two podcasts, uh, Education Today and the TNT EdTech Podcast, which I host with my buddy, Matthew Ketchum. And both of those you can find on any podcast player of your choice. And yeah, follow the Facebook Lives at Mr. Noon's Teach. And I do those for education today. If you want to go direct to a website for that one, you can go to anchor.fm backslash edtoday. And you can follow that podcast specifically on Twitter at education today and then the number eight because there were seven other ones before I came up with that idea. <laughs> Fantastic. Well thanks so much. I am sure our listeners are gonna are gonna definitely want to connect and tune in. So thank you, Scott, and have a magical day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I hope you are inspired by this episode and encouraged to find new ways to bring magic into teaching and learning. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, or on my website at tisharichmond.com. Please use the hashtag MLMagical to share thoughts about this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next week for another magical episode.